My name is Laurens Jacht. And welcome to Cybersecurity Talks, the interview podcast for cybersecurity professionals and for those who aspire to become one. And in this podcast, I interview industry experts and explore what it's like to work in the cybersecurity domain. Join us on our journey and learn about the latest trends, real-life war stories, and everything you need to know about this fascinating industry. Welcome back to another episode of Cybersecurity Talks. We're very excited to announce today's guest, Felix Voskeboik. Felix is the Chief Information Security Officer at AS Watson Group. This is the largest health and beauty retailer in the world. The company has over 11,000 employees and is active in 29 different markets. For the Dutch listeners, you might know AS Watson via the brands that include EC Paris, Trekpleister and the Kruidvat. Felix started his career in Brooklyn and New York City. After that, he moved to London, where he worked for Shell as a group data privacy advisor. And after three years, he moved on to join Unilever as the global data privacy manager. In 2016, he joined AS Watson as the head of data privacy. And in 2017, he became the head of IT security. For this role, he also moved to the Netherlands. In 2020, he became the CISO. Felix, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. What an amazing career so far. Yeah. Not bad, not bad. Um, also, you lived in cool places, New York, yeah. uh, London, and now in Arnhem, I believe. Yeah, of course. Very different now, but uh, <laughs> that must be lovely changed. place. <laughs> what you need to know about me. And we always start the podcast with uh, the same type of questions. Yeah. Just uh, I will shoot them at you. Uh, so here goes. What meal do you start your day with? No, oh, I like granola. Granola. Android or iOS? iOS, of course. What's your favorite phone app? Ah, ooh, that's a, that's a good My banking app, right? <laughs> check, check all the money that's got every day. <laughs> that's the one I use always in the morning, right? Where do all my money go? <laughs> I work from home, office, or a mix? Ah, I used, to, I used to hate working from home, right? But I think after COVID, I think it's mostly working from home now with uh, uh, travel starting. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I, like many of us, I got too used to working from home. But uh, office is nice though. But uh, I think uh, more mix. people to come to the office and it's good. But otherwise, it's a mix. Yeah, check. Are you a gamer? Um, not so much. Uh, not so much. Uh, well, I like sports, but not uh, not so much uh, gaming and uh, you know, no PlayStation. What well, with the kids sometimes, Nintendo Switch, maybe NBA 2K. Yeah, you know, things like that, but not not actively. Yeah. Laptop, desktop, server, or VM? Oh, laptop. What's a guilty pleasure of yours? Oh, well, a guilty pleasure is whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy a little That's bit of whiskey. That's a guilty one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very guilty. Cloud or on-prem? Ah, cloud. First word that comes to mind when I say cybersecurity? Trouble. And your password is? Ah, good one. <laughs> good one. Yeah, good one. One, two, three. <laughs> yeah, one, two, three. <laughs> ah, nice. This is a public service announcement. Do you want to work with the next generation of cybersecurity professionals? Or do you want to start a career in cybersecurity yourself? Then join us, because we're on a mission to close the cybersecurity talent gap. We started a new educational company called The Guardianship. Here we train digital talent to become the next generation of cybersecurity professionals. For more information, go to theguardianship.nl. That is theguardianship.nl. Now let's get back to the episode. The Beginnings. I think you have a very uh, interesting career so far. So, so you grew up in uh, in the U.S., but I think uh, you're a descent from Ukraine originally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, my family, uh, you know, we moved after the Cold War. So, uh, back in the late '80s, uh, my family, like, uh, unfortunately, like a lot of migrants today that have been coming to Europe, uh, we also uh, migrated. 
Uh, I remember my father brought uh, pretty much, uh, you know, my, me as a little boy with uh, my grandma, my mom and other people and my great grandma at that time and his parents, um, you know, all the, across the, the world to get to America. Yeah. And, um, you know, like many people are going, what they're going through today, we also went through, you know, we lived, uh, I think uh, about six uh, months, we lived in Rome, Italy. And then we lived also in Austria for six months in people's houses, you know, as migrants, as uh, many people, uh, unfortunately, today. And uh, yeah, then, you know, uh, America pretty much gave us the open door. And uh, my parents, uh, you know, went through the American dream. Yeah. And uh, were able to raise me into the good man that I am today. But uh, yeah, but it was hard. It was hard. And, you know, I really feel it for a lot of people from the Ukraine uh, that are going through similar, you know, but there's always hope on the better side. So we hope that, uh, you know, they will also lift the dream somewhere yeah. or back home. I think most people want to go back home. But um, yeah, we have to see where it takes us from. Yeah, I, I think that uh, as an immigrant in the, in the US, you, you sort of continue the American dream from yeah. your parents. and. I think your your uh, your first job was more in, in in corporate finance, but not so much in the security field. No, no, of course. I mean, it's uh, it was interesting because I kind of uh, studied law, right? So I was always trained as a lawyer. But uh, you know, it's uh, sometimes uh, when you're young and you kind of uh, leave school, you kind of yeah, I like the subject, but do I want to do it or not? So for me, I was very much uh, thinking twice whether I wanted to be a lawyer or not. So um, yeah, and, and interesting is I got an opportunity to work in uh, in the corporate finance, but in to the, in the biofuels area, uh, but also uh, with Ukraine. So it felt it felt a little bit like oh I could see my roots I could uh, you know I could go back and uh, feel it and um, yeah so I was helping uh, to build biofuel plants um, in uh, different places within Ukraine. So that's a, a good start I think. Uh, but then yeah you realize whether that's something you want to do. So you're trialing things out like any person out of school would right. Not everybody's uh, determined to say that's all I, I'm going to do this and that's it. But that's not fun right. You need to have a little bit fun and pleasure in your life. Yeah. And I think uh, it was my journey is fun and yeah. that's what i enjoy but before we we started the show you mentioned uh like the, the high school dream was maybe to yeah. become an fbi agent <laughs> yeah well that's, a, that's that was uh, my thing and it kind of uh, brings back what i do today very similar right i think uh we, yeah when i was uh also in in my early days i think i watched a lot of exciting uh, cop movies back then right and america i think most of us uh who watch american tv most of it is related to the police right so it's always like yeah. uh, you know whether you watch a movie like a man on fire or a lethal weapon or whatever it is right you always kind of oh i want to be like these guys i want to be this like uh hero right and um yeah so i tried it out i thought it was a fun experience and i went through a lot of trainings uh, i think uh, i did a lot of various internships and various roles and some cool places uh in america as the thing as most people know there's not just one police department there's uh, federal governments but they look after all different things um so i did various internships and uh pieces of work with these places uh, but then yeah it's a question is whether you want to pursue a life like that for a long time so that was another trial experience right yeah but you uh, have to try it you have a lot to try of stuff. you have to try it and it was fun it was a fun trial right experience but then uh, you're, you're still in in the security yeah, I, yeah, exactly i'm still i'm still doing it just <laughs> yes. uh well On you know some people level. say whether it's safer or not to be a guy breaking down doors or stopping hackers from hacking your systems right i think uh, then that you don't know what's safer or not anymore but i think it's just as much fun and trouble i think yeah yeah that's scary yeah 
Okay, now super interesting, but I want to jump back a little bit yeah. to the beginning of your career because eventually yeah. you decide to uh, to uh, relocate to London and join yeah. uh, Shell as, yeah. a, as a privacy data privacy advisor. Yeah. What what was the decision to find a new job and also relocate and leave everything behind? Yeah, well, I think uh, so. Also, I um, you know my wife as well had a big part in this because uh, I think as I told you, begin my wife is German, uh, so uh, you know uh, we wanted to was we met in New York and uh, she wanted to move to Europe and I was thinking if I was going to move to Europe, where, where do I go? Uh, obviously, the language barrier going to Germany, especially with work and stuff like that, would be tough. And I was starting out my career, uh, so for me, it was important to go to a place like uh, in like an English-speaking country like the UK. Um, and there, yeah, that's when I started working with Shell. There, um, yeah, I worked a lot in the governance and risk area, and a big piece of, of course, with data privacy. And that was probably my first uh, stint, I would say, into this world of uh, data protection, you know, privacy, security. And back then. And it was still an early subject, right? I think GDPR and all that was still, uh, um, you know, not even in the in discussions yet. Yeah. So a lot of the focus was a lot on data protection, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, how do you uh, ensure that you securely transfer the data? How do you ensure that data is properly encrypted, access controls, and all that? So that probably kind of made me think about, well, you know, what's the bigger importance here? Is it security or is it more getting somebody's consent and legal things like that? So I was very much focused and my approach was very much on the data protection side, making sure if you have that customer data or employee data, whatever it is, you need to make sure you have the right controls, yeah. uh, you know, to not uh, lose it or not be hacked or, uh, you know, have a breach or something along those lines. Yeah. And what were the... The main challenges for for Shell back then? Well, I mean, it's uh, back then. There's uh, it's an interesting one. If I could uh, remember some of them, I think it's uh, getting people's buy-in in this concept. I think this is uh, not only in in Shell, but I think overall and all my other careers as well, and companies I worked for with in this area is always getting the buy-in, right? I think uh, people see uh, the world of security and the world of privacy still very much as you know you're you're holding me back from doing what I want to do. Yeah. Right. Because if you look back uh, years years ago, people were able to roll out a new server, a new system, you know, without much complication. Yeah, maybe some companies had security or not, but uh, many didn't. Yeah. Many didn't think about this concept, and you know, if, especially if you look back in some of the legacy environments that companies have today. Yeah, there were no controls behind that. Everybody was able to access everything. Everybody was able to share everything. You know, nobody patched or upgraded their servers. You know, uh, everything was connected to the internet. So, you know, if you look into the newer environments, it's a little bit different now. So you got to look back into days of uh, how people used to think. So uh, when you come in and you say, yeah, you need to do all these different uh, measures and uh, take into consideration these controls, people will look at you like, you know. So there's a, there's a step that you need to take to get uh, before you start breaching uh, security and privacy. You need to kind of uh, make sure people understand what's the importance. Why is it a risk? Build that burning platform for them. Get them uh, interested in the subject. I do marketing. I am a sales guy. And how would you create that buy-in? Because oh. even as a CISO, I yeah. think you still have to create of leverage course. and create the buy-in. No, yeah. How but, how do you do that? Yeah, but I think it's a, it's a, that's a, that's the hardest challenge. I think uh, guys like me face today, right? And many of our CISO and many people work in cybersecurity. I think it's uh, making sure that people understand uh, the importance of the subject. I think a lot of people I see they uh, force the consequences, right? They always force if you don't do this, you're gonna get hacked tomorrow. If you don't do this, you're gonna get a big fine from the regulators and stuff like that. 
ah, you know, um, I, I think most of us know and maybe read the the book, The Black Swan, right? Yeah. The Black Swan effect, how people uh, psycholo- psychologically think about things, right? They think about things, think it's never going to happen to me, right? Today, you know, if you go like in the States, for example, most people don't have insurance. Why don't they have insurance? Because they feel like I'm never going to get sick. And then they get sick one, then they end up on the floor in the hospital, right? So this is the same thinking that we also face today in cybersecurity, right? A lot of people think, oh, it's never going to happen to me. So if you go to them and uh, preach them about consequences of a data breach or or a hack or some uh, regulator fine, right? You didn't get their buy-in. But what you need to do is find ways on how you could improve what they're doing today. You know, many times we hear situations that uh, my server is not patched, for example. And if the server is not patched, you know, they're thinking about, oh, I need to patch it and it's more for security. But if you keep your systems up to date and upgraded, your server may have uh, better uh, support for the systems that it's managing, right? Your server may work quicker. Right. Obviously, uh, like our phones, right? If we don't update our phones, they become slower. They don't work that well anymore. We cannot, uh, you know, we get all these different pop ups and all these things. The same thing uh, works in uh, the the system uh, world as well. So that's the the kind of thinking we need to do is uh, show people not so much only from a scary perspective. Yeah, sell fear. Yes, don't sell fear. I think fear, that's an old school way of doing things. I think that doesn't get by anymore. But show people the value. Uh, that security could create for them. And of course, that mindset of saying, okay, if I'm doing these things, I will uh, prevent myself from being hacked or being compromised and stuff like that. Uh, you know, people and uh, security and privacy, I think, where a lot of people also uh, fail today is they don't make it fun. You know, you need to make it fun. You need to make it exciting. You need to want people to be part of the bigger picture, right? It's what you invest in, what kind of things you implement, what kind of information you share with them, right? Like, you know, when we implemented, for example, Microsoft Defender, it's so valuable, right? Uh, the information that I could share with the IT teams about their environments, about their systems, about the key risks, it's valuable for them. They could use that information as well. They know their assets now before they even know these assets existed. So right there, you got their buy-in. They're your friend. They rely on you. They have questions for you, right? But if you go with a very boring approach and very kind of legal and kind of pushy them, uh, scaring them, yeah, you're just a foe. You're not a friend. You yeah. got to be a friend with the business. And that's uh, that's my approach, right? Wherever I work, I always make uh, make friends from uh, this area and make sure that they are able to trust us, make sure that I'm able to provide them value and make sure that I don't scare them too much. Yeah, but I think especially the, the size of the companies that you've been working with, because first it was Shell, then yeah. you joined Unilever in yeah. probably a bit similar role, but it, you need to create the buy-in. And I think yeah. then it's a lot about stakeholder management. Yeah, and, of course. Yeah. I mean, stakeholder, that's key, right? You got to build your network, right? And uh, building that network that really understands you and has trust in you. You got to make the subject simple to them as well. I think uh, when people understand what you're talking about, right, and you don't get into such technical aspects, and perhaps that's probably the success of my uh, career where I am today as well, because I'm not a technical person, right? I I call myself, when people ask me what I do today, I say I do marketing. You know, I sell. That's my job. I'm a salesperson, right? Uh, And that's perhaps why I'm successful in what I do as well, because at the end of the day, all I do every day, I'm selling. Right, I have uh, numerous amount of presentations per day, numerous amount of talks, numerous amount kind of uh, pitches that I have to do to our stakeholders to make sure they understand the subject. If you come in from a technical perspective, not everybody will understand you. People yeah. will get confused. They get scared. They get turned off. They turn away from you. So people, you know, they need to see it. This as, oh, I get this. Okay, clear. I know. Oh, I know. I have these many issues. Oh, I know. I have uh, what remediation I need to take. It's very simple. 
yeah. you know and i know how long it will take me what the plan is and etc so yeah it's uh yeah. makes it more exciting for everybody out there yeah but i i love what you're saying that, that uh you're doing marketing in it and yeah i think you have enough uh scurdy people around you and underneath you that yeah. actually know the the bits and bytes yeah but on the other hand, I know a lot of people that complain about the current generation of CISOs that they say, yeah, that they they don't know the the technical stuff. They they were auditors, for instance, and now they yeah. the position became available, and all of a sudden they yeah. are the, the, the CISOs. But I, I think you you are sort of the next generation uh, CISO that, that you approach it that way. And I think I think those uh, yeah. So I I see many instances as well where today uh, you know people that claim uh, to have a role as CISO they pretty much just hey somebody we need this we need somebody to be the heads up security and that's yeah. going to be your role right. And most of the times what I see in many cases I think um, you know especially in some of the small outfits you see like the infra guy uh, you know or some IT guy that had some knowledge of security to take on this role as well. And that doesn't work. That doesn't work because it becomes just a firewall centric environment right. Yeah. It doesn't become as a, as a kind of a strategic visionary service anymore. Yeah. Right? Being a CISO, you need to build a vision. You need to make sure that the vision aligns to the brands and the company and the strategy of their organization as well. And and if you are a very technical person, yeah, you won't get the big picture. Yeah. You're just going to get it from a technical person, which is good, right? But in my case, I'm lucky enough to have a good team underneath me that could bring me this technical knowledge and be able to align and relate to the business. But I, my job is to make sure that uh, you know they're well noticed, that they we have a clear vision, a clear plan, a clear strategy behind it, yeah. and the stakeholders are willing to work with them. Yeah, you know. And you mentioned that uh, building a good team around you. I, yeah. I think uh, with with Chell and later then Unilever, you were already in a position managing. Yeah. But now you're really the since 2002, you really became the the, the chief. Uh, so so you are the visionary person, yeah. but also having to build teams around you. Yeah. What advice would you give others if if they're looking to build a, a good security force? Well, that's a, that's a, that's the hardest challenge right now, as you know as well, right? Is finding good people, yeah. right? I think we all face the same challenge right now. So, that, but I'm um, I think as you know and you've seen, I'm very much uh, uh, very critical in who I hire and who I want part of my team. I think uh, we need you need people. You need to everybody needs to really think about what kind of people they're really looking for, for what roles and what activities, right? I think too many times I see and I made these mistakes before. You know, you hire people for a particular role. But you give them another job when they come on board, right? Because you thought, oh, maybe they do this. Oh, I need them to do this better because that's more priority. doesn't work like that because you need to hire people that you need specifically for a specific task, right? If you need somebody to be a project manager, uh, you need to hire a project manager. Don't uh, make a project manager and a guy that's going to roll out your endpoint detection response capability uh, without that kind of knowledge, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, I agree. People can learn on the job. That's okay, but I think we're uh, at a stage now where, uh, you know, people learning quickly is a little bit difficult, right? It's time and uh, it takes a lot of effort and stuff like that. And the the, the market's at a big risk. So yeah. when you're looking for people, you need to ensure that you find the right people, but also to align with your strategic vision. That's important. You don't want somebody in your team who doesn't believe in what you're doing, doesn't believe in your vision, you know, doesn't work around the culture. Yeah. That, that doesn't work, right? If they are not aligned to the company culture, if they have a totally different mindset, 
that's not going to work. Yeah, I made a lot of mistakes like this in the past. A lot of mistakes. You know, we hire people and we think, yeah, they're going to do good, but we miss these things. We miss. Uh, do they have the strategic vision? Yeah. You know, are they aligned with us? But how can you prevent that from happening? Because you will always have bad hires. Yeah. Uh, how long yeah, you been stopped, in the business? I stopped. I stopped hiring people on the back of just uh, simple interviews. I stopped doing that. One thing I do is uh, I do very uh, uh, clear case studies. Right? So when we hire people, uh, well, before we hire people, when we interview people, yeah, it's uh, nice to have a chat about your CV and what you have done. Yeah, uh, A lot of people, uh, you know, they sell good dreams and good stories, but the reality is that, you know, maybe 50% or 40% of that CV is true, right? Uh, but what you really see is when you sit down with them and you give them an opportunity to present something, right? If they could communicate well, if they could sell the, themselves well to you and the case study that you have presented, that's already a checkbox, right? And if I'm interested in that person, then the next thing I do is I try to build a relationship with them. I try to make sure that they fully understand what they're getting themselves involved with. You know, how they're going to work with us. What kind of culture are they coming with, right? Yeah, they need to like me. If they don't like me, it ain't going to work, right? Yeah. If I'm going to be a nuisance to them or they don't like my style of working or I'm going to be a headache for them or uh, because most of my team is like me. Right, they are they are half that kind of mentality. Yeah, some of them may be more technical, some of them may be a little more inspirational, some of them may be a little more communicative. But uh, a lot of them have the same vision. That's why they're part of my team. And if people lose that vision or they lose the interest of being part of us, I don't need them in my team anymore. Yeah. So, uh, but I do that to also make sure that before I say, yeah, you're hired. I try my best and to find time to associate myself with them, whether it's a meeting face to face, whether we have a few chats before we finally hire them, whatever it is, I want to make sure they're they making the right decision. You yeah. know, and everybody treated me like that in my career as well. I, nobody just said, yeah, go, go, you know, come, come tomorrow, you're hired. No, I wouldn't take a job like that. Detection is key. And uh, what I noticed that you joined in 2020, you yeah. really became the CISO that was in, yeah. the, in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah. That must have been a fun. tough time to to join. Everybody working from home. And what was it for you? Yeah, well, of course. I mean, uh, if you could think about it, everybody working from home now. Of course. I mean, yeah, some, uh, from a cyber perspective, uh, it was uh, very important. But I think a lot of this also had to be influenced together with the, our infrastructure local IT teams, right? They played a big role in this as well, right? Uh, keep in mind that my team is not actually physically rolling things out like, uh, you know, no. making sure there's a VPN on every endpoint or making sure there's an agent on every endpoint to uh, do different threat hunting and provide a different antivirus services, right? Uh, we sell the concept, we, uh, you know, we sell the strategy, but we need local IT teams across our business units and our infrastructure teams to uh, help to facilitate this. Yeah, sure. and um, that's that's the key thing. So they were a big part of this as well, right? So um, yeah, we had to work fast and and quick to get everybody up to speed and make sure we have full visibility. The yeah. key thing I think in cyber today is having visibility, right? I think we uh, we have passed this thinking that uh, you're secure. There's not just thing as being secure, right? Uh, if anybody tells me they're secure, they work for a company that preaches security and everything is secure, they are, they, it's um, it's a lie. It's a never-ending game. No, it's a never-ending game. The thing is, it's about having visibility and detection. And that's where I'm investing much more today, right? It's to making sure that I have full visibility across all our environment, right? And if we see something, then we take action on it. But the, uh, the thinking that you're secure, no, uh, hackers will take uh, things down in seconds if they want to, right? They're, I think they're much more uh, advanced and much more powerful than uh, the security market is today. I don't think the security market keep up.
Yeah. So you need to have good de detection capabilities. That's for sure. Because uh, we touched COVID, there was a, a turbulent time. But what yeah. what keeps you up now at night? If you look at well, the I'm, landscape, uh, yeah, I must say it's my end users, my people. I think that's uh, uh, I think that's the biggest f uh, threat factor I have today. Because if you think about our attacks today, um, they happen in two areas, right? Uh, e uh, the public facing environment like e-commerce and endpoints, people, right? Yeah. And uh, I think the public facing environment you could control as much as possible, I think with firewalls and uh, bot protection and all that, which we do a good job on. But I think people are hard, right? People make mistakes, human 11, error, right? 11,000. Yeah, it's uh, but also don't forget our store employees as well. A lot of them also have connections to some, uh, you know, uh, PCs and stuff like that. So they also could get email and uh, click on the links and stuff. Uh, but that's the key thing, right? And how do you monitor and control uh, so many people? That's yeah. that's the biggest challenge because at the end of the day, yeah, you could do all the training you want. You could do, you know, you could do all the phishing simulations. You know, we do all that stuff. We spend so much time and effort on doing phishing simulations and cyber awareness training. You know, we even use my dog now for uh, training our users and stuff like that. So to make it more fun and exciting for them. But uh, it's people. People will make mistakes like we all do today, right? But is it then about setting up the the right systems in place because you know somebody will yeah, make an it's, error? It's detection. It's being able to uh, support them because, for example, like what we see uh, is a lot of people download stuff today, right? So yes, of course, there's the whole idea of local admin rights, right? So yeah, yeah, you could remove that, but then uh, yeah, some people may say I still need it for whatever application I need to access. So there's this whole discussion about that. But the key thing is, if somebody by accident clicks on a link or goes or uh, redirects to another website, a malicious website, or download something or something like that. You need to see that right away. You need to take action, contain that device. And that's where I think companies need to really forefront and start thinking about uh, all their key investments need to go into this area. Yeah. You know, uh, it's uh, detection capabilities when it comes to uh, people. Yeah, and uh, then uh, then it's uh, defense and debt, right? So you do the training, uh, you kind of keep them up to speed. You build your whole environment, your whole network, and things like that uh, to protect this area, especially now with mobile working. Uh, but the the key thing is, okay, I have all the security in place, but how's uh, what guarantee do I have? You don't have a guarantee. Nothing's bulletproof. Nothing's yeah. bulletproof. I'm you know? curious because uh, some people might feel I think I clicked something weird, or yeah. maybe this download looks a bit weird, but I don't feel comfortable sharing this with the, the IT team. Yeah, exactly. And uh, well, they would never. <laughs> they yeah. never. They never. So uh, most people, they know they download something, right? And then uh, we we get they an keep alert. It quiet. Yeah, they keep it quiet. We get an alert. You know, we even have sometimes. Uh, you know, people like uh, if we ask them to block a specific IP, even the IT people click on it sometimes, and they keep it quiet. And they <laughs> okay. click at it, and then they suddenly <laughs> see that device is not working or something weird is happening, and they keep it quiet. And then we see it right away. Yeah. You know, uh, with the detection we have today, we can see something within a few seconds. So it, it, it's the shift might have gone from prevention, which is still yeah. there, but detection yeah. is, is yeah. Uh, I think prevention prevention is, uh, in my personal opinion, a waste. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's a maybe wrong word to use a waste, but I think it's uh, it still has some benefits, but not the kind of benefits that you need right now. That's why it's a waste. I think detection is key. You know, you can, yeah, you cannot work without prevention, right? You, it's just, you don't have a security program if you go to your board and just say, yeah, I just want detection, but I don't need any firewalls or any VPN or anything like that. Uh, I don't need that. 
yeah. you know that then yeah, yeah it work. doesn't make sense right of course but uh, it, uh i think defense and debt strategy is very important you need to help multiple layers i think do not rely just on the fact yeah we do cyber awareness training we do phishing simulations uh you know we have good firewalls we have good antivirus yeah we're good yeah no, you're not good yeah. Trust me, a lot of things are slipping in. You probably don't even see about. And the problem is with hackers today, uh, they're not working in a way where they, uh, uh, you know, hack you really bad on day one, and you really feel it. And then they ask you for 150 million dollars the next day. It doesn't work like that. They're smart, right? Because they know companies have security, right? So what they do is they start small and soft. Right and unnoticeable, right? You see that these alerts pop up, a few users compromised here and there, but nothing really to uh, P1, P1, no. But if you leave it and you don't see those issues over the time, it will explode into something bigger because they're working, right? They, they're taking their time. They're trying to uh, see how they can move lateral across your environment. So step-by-step approach, uh, but you need to st- uh, kick yeah. them out right away. Yeah. A victim, a victim, even if it's one user, a victim, boom, out, you know, uh, get that. Don't give them any hope. Don't give them any power and they'll move away. They'll go away. You know, they won't keep trying. Why? Because now all oh, these guys have good detection capabilities. So I'm not going to waste my time. There's millions of other companies I yeah. could go and compromise and ask for money. But is it then sort of a competition between the companies? Like, hey, we, we got our shit under control more yeah. or less. So uh, the hackers might try and then they hit the, the, the second or third door and then they feel like, okay, let's go to the lower hanging fruit and try there. Yeah, I think, well, I think, of course, the, they, uh, there's, uh, there's different teams, right? So uh, if you think about uh, the big companies, obviously make an investment in security, right? So if you think about how hackers are probably working, they probably have their VIP team. And they yeah. have their junior team. The junior guys are probably hacking these small, uh, middle-sized businesses that, you know, mom and pop shops, I would say, right? Yeah. Uh, they're hacking them all day and pretty much asking them for some kind of ransom, small ransom. But then you got the VIP team, probably it's some of the best uh, hackers uh, out there, uh, you know, really working hard and uh, finding ways on how to get in. So it's not so much competition, it's smart way of working, right? They have really, yeah. like we do, right? You don't send in your junior staff to talk to your board. Yeah, you send in your top uh, elite uh, VPs and EVPs to deal with the board, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, they work the same way. How cool would it be to sit down with with that like a VIP guy from the other side? Oh, I think it would be pretty cool. I think it would be yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I think. What uh, would you ask him or her? Well, come work for me, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, you know, it's come to you know become a good guy and stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting to see because talents like these guys is hard to find. That's the thing, right? So I think the dark world has uh, really taken some of the best talents because these guys are security guys after all, right? Uh, You know, a hacker knows, uh, you know, he knows the security in market. He knows the security environment. He knows how the the network should work. He knows how uh, endpoints should work. He knows where the tricks are, right? If a guy knows how to take down Defender and bypass Microsoft Defender and uh, try to compromise your end users, that guy knows how to install Defender. That guy knows how to operate Defender. Right, so yeah, to me, I would, I would try to convince them to come work for me, and yeah. I think that would be my uh, key guy. Think team, but still, it it could be as a CISO, it it could be a stressful job. There's so much going on yeah. on every server, the the retail, the people in the store. Yeah, how ask me how last you... time I slept, you know, <laughs> <laughs> six weeks ago, right? Six weeks uh, ago. It is a, it is a stressful job, but you know, I always. Uh, it depends on how you make your job, right? 
some people have a very, uh, I would say, uh, stressful way of living, right? And their kind of uh, work ethic is different. You know, I try to still make myself uh, have fun, right? I do things I like, you know, I, you know, I like uh, to uh, do dog training. I like to play with my kids. I like to spend time with my family. I like to go running. I like to go to the gym, you know, and work, work has to finish eventually, right? Of course, I'm, I'm involved heavily in the, the day-to-day work and evenings I have to work sometimes crazy hours, but yeah, you need to know when uh, enough is enough, right? And you need to give yourself. So yeah, it's stressful. You got a lot of risk, but I, I feel very confident that with the team I have and the investments we have made over the last few years and uh, the, the vision and strategy we have where, you know, we're grounded enough to uh, allow me and my board and my boss and other people to sleep at night. Yeah, but I, f- I feel, uh, or not not I feel, but I read a lot about this, that because there's a big shortage in the cybersecurity yeah. market, that the people that do work in the field work crazy hours and, and yeah. they're stressed or some of them are even burned out. So yeah. what's this? How but, do you keep check of that? But I think it's also uh, companies that are in this kind of environment uh, maybe have not invested in the right technologies. Maybe they have not automated a lot of their processes. Maybe they're not doing things in the right way. I don't think uh, the security market is at a, at a stage where, yeah, you just have to be there 24-7. And uh, yeah, you did see, of course, we have a SOC. We have uh, a lot of 24-7 operations, right? We have uh, a lot of uh, vendors and uh, different people supporting us pretty much the 365 days a year, seven days a week, you know? Um, so yeah, it happens. But if you do things the right way and you invest in the right areas and you kind of think uh, about the right strategy and have the right team, Nah, you don't need to work uh, or have this stressful life. Yeah, I, I really uh, admire your approach. I, I think that uh, that's a very yeah. healthy way to look at it. Uh, yeah. Okay, and um, you're you're only thirty nine, and, and you're already a CEO of a yeah. of a huge company. What what's next for you in the well, years to that's come? Well, that's a good question, right? It's uh, always uh, what's what's next for me. I don't know. It's a good question. I think. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, next uh, the next thing for me is probably if uh, you know if I was going to move to another company. I would pretty much. Uh, I like greenfields, right? I like. I would like. I wouldn't want to move to another company to kind of be like, okay, I'll just take over from somewhat somebody else. That I wouldn't mind moving to a company that says, yeah, we're fire. You know, we're we're firefighter. We got nothing to do. You know, we. Uh, but here's a big budget. Here's uh, all the things we need you to, to do. Help us. Yeah. That's exciting for me, right? Then I'm able to come in with my thinking cap and say, all right, this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I like I like that kind of environment where there's a lot of business units and things. But yeah, but that's the, I think that's the hard part in being uh, me at a young age and doing what I do because uh, yeah, it's, uh, where do you go from there, right? Uh, if you want to stay in the cyber market, yeah, because uh, if I want to pretty much start my own cyber company or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's why I was also asking. Uh, yeah. yeah, but basically you never know. You never know where the future. I, there's still a lot of work to be done where I am now, so it's uh, hard to think about that. But uh, maybe one day I'll start thinking about it. And if you look at the uh, maybe I'll turn into a hacker. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, open you get open up a hacking business, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. all headquarters. Hacking could, headquarters could be uh, financially interesting as yeah, well. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But is is there one problem that that you foresee or that's already there that you would really like to solve in the next years of your career yeah i think it's uh for me it's uh, pretty much would be on the kind of the, the pre- preventive people factor right i think that's the, that's the biggest problem i see today i think if we could really see how best to ensure uh, that our end users are pretty much a hundred percent preventive from uh causing issues in us, in our company and causing incidents and stuff like that. Yeah, I would really feel happy. We have a big plan about that. We have a lot of uh, inspirations and a lot of uh, strategic improvements to make in that area. But for me, I think that's the really big picture.
Yeah. You know, if I could really uh, uh, be able to stabilize that situation where we could almost be certain that all the end users are pretty much uh, uh, either from a preventive measure, we already have everything locked down in a way that they could still operate. They could still do what they want, but, uh, you know, we're able to uh, be able to control and uh, detect if anything bad happens, but to a minimal, right? Not like uh, thousands of incidents a week yeah. based on end users, no. Yeah. But it could also be brought broader, so not only for, for your company, but maybe yeah. have a, a global rollout for for mankind to to be more uh, aware. I think so. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. That's uh, we have that's to think big. <laughs> yeah, but I think with the, the way the world is going these days, with all the different technology and uh, us, uh, you know, the whole metaverse, you know, the whole idea concept there. I think uh, unfortunately uh, we're going more digital, and uh, you know, we need to leverage more on the Internet of Things as much as possible. And I think that's going to be a, a consequence of security as well from the end users because people cannot so much operate if. You you take away that the world from them right so if you say you cannot visit these websites you cannot download this anymore you cannot use this application you cannot do that yeah it feels like i took your fingers away right yeah yeah you know if you look uh, back uh, back in the days right we needed uh, legs right today you don't really need legs right you could just be on you in your world and uh, on a computer all day and uh, Things you will know, come to things, you. It's, yeah. Things will come to you, right? So you don't need to walk uh, anymore to a supermarket. You could gorilla, whatever they're called downstairs, they could deliver your groceries to you. So, you know, and that's the same thing, right? Uh, so think about it from those, uh, from that part of the world that we take away their internet or internet of things or their metaverse digital world, right? Uh, it's going to be bad. So we need to be smart. Yeah, I think this uh, the world is changing and the way our employees are working and thinking as well are changing as well. But I think we need to be smart on how we uh, protect that from uh, cybercrime because obviously cybercrime will take big advantage of that. Yeah. You know? But uh, again, uh, I, I admire your, your approach because it's more strategic and yeah. more on the psychological side of, yeah. of, of the brain and, yeah. and, and not so much in the in the bits and bytes of, of the, the technical stuff, but more on the bigger picture. Yeah, that's cool. No, no that's, uh, that's, I think that's the thinking. We have to think like that. And if we think too technical about uh, the end users and not really how the person thinks, you got to think about your end customer, right? My end customer is the end user, right? That's my employees today. They're my customers. So I need to, uh, to provide them a secure... Uh, benefit right so if you think about like uh, facebook and these companies right that provide them this social world right um, yeah they probably think like that as well right they probably think okay those, these are our customers so we need to provide them a, a secure platform and i need to provide my employees a secure platform and one uh, to make sure you know they're protected but also the companies protect because yeah human error they don't know you can't blame, and you know, no employee gets fired for making a human error mistakes, right? Unless you know, unless they really do something really bad. Yeah. But if somebody clicks on a malicious link, for example, today, and uh, yeah, they cost the, uh, you know, it costs us a hundred million in ransom. Yeah, they'll probably look for like a, like an idiot, you know, and everybody will be like, but you know, who 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 clicked? Yeah. But nobody's gonna really gonna get fired, right? So uh, CISO should be thinking. How, how can I create a safe environment yeah. for my end user? That's, that's it. The that's, main so that's, that's the main question. Looking at the time, because I think yeah. you're uh, on yeah. a time constraint. We already discussed a bit what, what the role of a CISO can be or perhaps should be and a bit of advice. But if there's one signal message that you can share with, with all your fellow CISOs yeah. across the world, what would that signal message yeah. say? Think team. Think team? Think team, yeah. Think about your people. I think that's the, that's the key message. I mean, a CISO is, is a one-man shop without his team. 
And I think uh, if you have a good team behind you and you really need to take care of them and you really need to make sure, uh, you know, they have they they have the kind of strategic vision and they're really moving up in their careers and they're really making a career for them in the security market. And you're really looking after them. You know, I hear too many CISOs say, I, I, I did it. I did it. I, you know, I don't think I have said once in this interview that I did anything. You know, uh, the only thing I do is sell stories all day, but my team do everything. Right. They do a lot of the work. And I think that's the key thing that the message that that's all the CISOs they need to consider is their team. That's the most important thing, because if your team walks away tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and finding new people. Right. It's almost impossible. Finding good new people right now is very difficult, I think. So you want to make sure that people that you have now, uh, you take care of them and you give them that opportunity to grow and expand and let them take risk, take risk. You know, let them let them, uh, you know, try things out. And yeah, not everything will work, you know, sometimes, but that's good. People learn from mistakes. Yeah. So the team, I think, is a key thing right now. And I think that's one consideration everybody needs to give to. Yeah, I like that. Think team. Yeah, think team. Okay, great, Felix. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah, really you're, welcome, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Cybersecurity Talks. We hope you've enjoyed this episode with the latest trends, war stories, and exciting career anecdotes. If you enjoyed the show, please review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Also, could you do me one small favor? Could you please share this podcast with one friend that you think would like this show just as much as you do? Thank you. And for all further information, please go to csrecruitment.nl slash talks and subscribe to this podcast. We will be back with another exciting episode in just two weeks. So see you next time and stay safe.